So Acts chapter 9, the title of my message is Following Through. Um, now, it seems like an odd title for a conversion story, but I think it's important, and this is why. You know, it's not always about an encounter with God. I think sometimes we can put so much emphasis on, like, you just need to have an encounter with God and an experience with God, and, I, and I'm all for it. Like, man, I want to experience God every single day. I don't want to go through a day and not experience all that God wanted to do in my life. You know, I don't want to go through a day, I don't want to go through a week and not have an encounter with the Lord. And the Bible says that He is a real, He is an ever-present help in time of need. He's not a distant help. He's not a, hey, you know what, knock on the door and there's a 50-50 chance He's going to show up. The Bible says He is a real help in time of need. And I love that about God, but it's not always just about having an encounter with God. It's about what happens after. It's about the follow-through. You know, so many times we can look at our lives and we're like, man, I remember when God spoke to me like 10 years ago and it was just phenomenal. But what did God do this week in our lives? Sometimes we can look back and we're like, man, God was really moving like a couple months ago and now it's just, you know, and it's like, well, are you banking on what God did a year ago or six months ago? Are you banking on what God did now? Man, God wants to work in our lives now in the present time. And as we look at this, and again, going back to this theme of following through, it's really, it's not just about an encounter that we had with God at one point. It's not about an encounter that we had with God last week. It's about what God is doing now and being in a place where we're always able to experience everything that God wants to do. Man, Paul experienced God do so much. And it wasn't because of this Damascus Road encounter. It was because Paul lived a life where God was able to move and work every single day. He lived a life of surrender, of obedience. There's different things that we're going to look at this morning that Paul did that opened the door for God to work in his life. And as we enter into this new year, I really feel that God wants to do a new work in our lives. But it doesn't start uh, with hoping for some magical encounter. It doesn't start with banking on some encounter that God did five, ten years ago. What it starts with is it starts with creating a place where God can work in my life today. Living a life where God can work in us today. Where God can do a new work. Man, I, I, get, I get tired sometimes hearing of all the things that God did in the past. All the things that God did in the Jesus movement. Man, I want to see God do stuff now. Man, I, I get tired sometimes. And it can be hard because sometimes you hear what God does in someone else's life. And you're like, God, well, why can't you do that in my life? And man, I want to live a life where God can work fully and completely in and through me. And as we look at this again, right, it's all about following through. It's not just about that encounter. It's what happens after. So go ahead and follow along with me in Acts chapter 9, verse 1. It says this, Then Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked for letters from him to the synagogues of Damascus, so that if he found any who were of the way, whether men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. And as he journeyed, he came near Damascus, and suddenly a light shone around him from heaven. And then he fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Verse 5, 
And he said, Who are you, Lord? And then the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. It is hard for you to kick against the goads. So he, trembling and astonished, said, Lord, what do you want me to do? Then the Lord said to him, Arise and go to the city, and you will be told what you must do. We're going to look at six things that Paul did that I think are, are important because there's six things that Paul did that led to this following through with God. It wasn't just, again, it wasn't just this experience he had. And no doubt, anybody that had an experience like this, this is a game-changing experience. Man, imagine, you're, uh, you have your own vision for your life. He was persecuting the church and he was just on a roll. So much so that he wanted to go to the next city to continue persecuting the church. He goes, he gets letters, so that way he can go to Damascus, which was far from Jerusalem, and he can put Christians in prison. He can take them to jail, he can prosecute them. And as he's on the road to Damascus, as he's on the way, this light shines, he falls to the ground, and he hears this voice saying, Paul, Paul, why, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? He says, man, whoa. Who are you? You know, like I'm hearing this voice. I can I can just imagine him like, like, are you my conscience? You know, like, well, who's he talking to? And he says, who are you, Lord? I think he knew in his heart that it was God. Man, sometimes when God speaks, it's one of those things where it's like, you're not sure what God is saying. You're like, I think God's speaking to me, but I'm not sure. And you're hoping that it's not God because you don't want to do it. But in the back of your mind, it's like Paul. It's like, who are you, Lord? It's like, it's like God, I, I'm pretty sure this is you. And then God was speaking to him. He says, who are you, Lord? And then what does the Lord say? The Lord says, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. Man, Paul had just found out that the one that he was fighting against, the truth that he was fighting against was real. It was real. And what was his response? His response was, Lord, what do you want me to do? The first thing that Paul did, again, we're going to cover six things. The first thing that Paul did was what? He surrendered. And we use this term in Christianity, right? It's this term of giving your life to God. Some of you guys have heard that, right? Surrendering your life to God. It's a, it's a term that we use often, man. When we're trying to get someone to give their life to God, we literally say, like, man, you got to give your life to the Lord. You got to surrender, and that's what Paul was doing. And what surrender is, is surrender is a response to what God is doing in your life. Surrender is a response to what God is doing in your life. I am positive that Paul didn't fully understand all that was happening. Paul didn't understand that this was the risen Lord who was about to put a calling on his life. Paul didn't understand that this was the risen Lord who had this amazing plan, who was going to uh, literally change the course of his life. He didn't understand everything. But one thing he did understand was that this Jesus that he was trying to stomp out, this truth that he had been fighting against was real. And notice what it says. It says that he was trembling and astonished. Man, he was trembling and he was astonished. It's, he was shocked. He was shocked that this was happening. I don't know how many of you guys watch a show or watch a movie sometimes and you get to that point where it's like this major, major plot twist and you're just like, what just happened? Right? And it's just a shocking thing. It's a shocking thing. 
And that's what Paul was experiencing here. Man, God speaks to him, and what does he do? He just has this shocking experience. He's shocked. Shocked. And his response was to simply surrender. See, you and I, we don't have to understand everything that's going on in our lives to surrender. And we don't have to have all of the answers. We don't have to have everything laid out in our life. Paul didn't. Paul didn't know what the next year was going to look like for him. Paul didn't know what the next five years, ten years was going to look like for him. But so often we do what? We focus on the future. We're like, well, God, you know, if I surrender to you, I mean, what's it going to look like around the corner? What's the next year going to look like? What's the next five years, ten years? And we have all these questions. Listen, surrender is just simple. We don't have to have all of the answers to be able to surrender. We just have to surrender in faith. And what is surrender? Surrender is ending the fight. Paul had been doing what? Paul had been kicking against the goads. And that was what they would have is in that day is they would be steering oxen. They would have this long rod and it would have this spikes and they would hit. I'm, I'm sorry, if you're, <laughs> sorry for all of the animal lovers in the building. But, but they would have this long rod with this little spike called a goad and they would hit the, the oxen and it would steer it. It would cause it to steer whichever way they were going. And what would happen is, is let's say the oxen was stubborn and it hadn't been broken yet and they were trying to steer it and it was going against the goads, it would just cause more, more pain. And it was hard. And Jesus is telling Paul, he's saying, Paul, he's saying, it's hard for you to kick against the goads. He's saying, Paul, he says, I'm trying to do this in your life and you're fighting against it and it's hard. There's nothing more harder than fighting against God. It's miserable experience. It is a miserable experience. Man, the story of when Jacob wrestled with God, what happened? Jacob, him and God are having this one-on-one -on -one wrestling match, hand-to-hand -hand combat, MMA. And, and as Jacob is there, what happens? It says that they wrestled all night and God touched his hip and his hip came out of joint and what did Jacob do? God, through that whole fight, God brought Jacob to a place of surrender. Because by the time that that wrestling match was done, all that Jacob wanted was what? He didn't want his will. He didn't want his way. He didn't want to keep fighting God. He didn't want to keep, he didn't want to go round two with God. What did he want? He said, don't leave me until I have your blessing." God brought him to a place where all he wanted was the blessing of God in his life. Surrender. Man, surrender is coming to a place where it's no longer about what we want or what we think God should do. It's just about ending the fight. And so often we fight God. We fight him on decisions. We fight him in areas of our lives. We fight him on different things. He's like, hey, surrender this. And it's like... But God, I don't really want to surrender this. And now all of a sudden there's this friction there. There's this fight there. And man, surrender, it's about ending the fight. And like we said, Paul didn't understand everything. And you and me will never understand everything that God is doing. But that is where trust comes in. And trust takes time to build, right? Just like with people. You don't automatically trust someone, right? You don't just automatically like, hey, this person looks cool. Like, I'm going to trust them. No, it takes time to build. It takes time to build trust with people. And it's the same thing with God. It takes time for us to come to a place where we really trust God. 
where we're really like, okay, God, I trust you with everything. But what happens is this, is it requires faith to build trust in God. And it will always require faith. Why? Because you will have moments like this where God will say, hey, I need you to surrender this. And you'll have a decision to make whether you're going to trust God or not. You'll have moments where you're like, man, I don't have enough money. What am I going to do? And you're considering getting a loan. Maybe your house is getting foreclosed. You're considering getting a loan or you're out of rent and you're considering borrowing money. And you're like, man, should I trust God or should I not? God said he's going to provide. Should I trust him or should I not? There's all sorts of different things. Sometimes people won't leave a job that God is calling them to leave because they're just short of their retirement. And it's like, well, do you trust God or do you not? Are you willing to surrender or do you not? Because it's all about surrender. And when you put your trust in God, when you by faith say, God, I'm going to trust you, what do you find out? You find out that God comes through every single time. What happens, man? Your trust in him is built up. The next test of faith, what happens? The next test of faith, you remember the things that God did before. It's interesting, when God was getting ready to bring the children of Israel into the promised land, what did he say? He said, remember how I brought you out of Egypt with that strong hand? He said, don't forget all of those miracles that I did in in your past. Man, the faithfulness of God... Trust is built, but it will always require faith. And it is hard to surrender to God when we don't trust God. It is hard to surrender to God when we don't trust God. We're battling, we're like, well, God, if I trust you in this area, what happens if I get hurt? God, if I trust you in this area, what happens if this happens or that happens? And we can just struggle with trusting God. And if we struggle with trusting God, we're going to have a hard time surrendering to his will for our life. Man, it's all about surrender. Not only is surrender ending the fight, but listen, surrender is giving God the power to make decisions in our lives. It's saying, God, you can do whatever you want to do in my life. And that's hard. That's hard to do. Man, sometimes we fight God on decisions, but to really say, Lord, Like what Paul said here, very, very simple. What did he say? He said, Lord, what do you want me to do? God, you make the decisions in my life. God, you show me what you want me to do. God, you give me direction in my life. Man, surrender is giving God the power to make decisions in our lives. And the greatest example of that is Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, right? What did he do? He said, God, he said, my will. He said, I don't want to go to the cross. He's like, if there's any way for me to not go to the cross, please, God, please spare me from going. He said, but nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. His surrender is giving God the power to make decisions in our lives. And that's what Paul's saying. Paul's saying, my life is no longer mine. He says, Lord, what do you want me to do from this moment forward? God, what do you want me to do? Surrender, listen, surrender is not giving our lives to God and then doing our own thing and asking God to be with it. Surrender is letting God make the decisions. It's waiting on Him to make the decisions. 
Sometimes waiting is the hardest thing. I can guarantee you, I've never regretted waiting on God for things. There was times where I was like, man, Lord, I'm going to miss out. And I rushed in and I did it and I disobeyed God. And it was the worst experiences of my life are those. Where I was like, man, Lord, you know what? I'm just going to do it and I'm just going to make it work. <laughs> Lord, it's gonna, I'm just going to make it happen and it's going to work out to be your will. And it was did not. And I look back, and those are years that were lost. Those are hurts that were caused. Hurts that were experienced, hurts that were caused, different things. And we can come to a place where we have a hard time waiting on God sometimes. But I love the verse in the Bible where it says that he who waits on him will never be ashamed. You're never going to wait on him and then look back and be like, man, I shouldn't have waited on him. I should have just done his own thing. Now, when he speaks, that's when you got to move. <laughs> that's when you got to move. But you don't want to go and get ahead of God. You want to wait on him. And if you're not sure what God wants you to do, listen, the best thing is to pray and to wait. Paul didn't have clear instructions right off the bat. Notice, notice what happens. Notice, again, follow along with me in verse 6. He says, Lord, what do you want me to do? See, Jesus said, I am Jesus who you are persecuting. It's hard for you to kick against the goads. Paul says, okay, Lord, it's you, Lord, what do you want me to do? And then the Lord gave him that instruction. The Lord said to him, arise and go into the city and you will be told what you must do. See, Paul receiving those instructions came, why? Because he sought the Lord and he said, God, what do you want me to do? Clean slate. See, sometimes we bring our decisions to God and we're like, God, what do you want me to do? Option A or option B? And God's like, neither. <laughs> he's like, none of those. He's like, he's like, throw those away. Throw those ideas in the trash. Man, God, listen, surrender and letting God make decisions in your life it's not bringing to him and saying hey okay God option A option B maybe we can consider option C no it's bringing it and saying God I'm a clean slate there's nothing there what do you want to do and then letting God guide you and speak to you in your life letting God direct you it's interesting, I had the chance yesterday to collect, or not collect, I had the chance yesterday to connect with this little church, the one that I was telling you guys about. It's this beautiful little church in downtown, it's called Liberation Church, small ministry focused on outreach to the homeless, and I got a chance to meet with the pastor and just connect with them. And I remember from my heart, I was praying, and I've, I've shared with you guys, we've been praying about maybe doing an outreach, something to reach out to the community, reach out to the homeless. And so when I first called him, his name's Pastor Lee, great guy. I first called him and I'm like, hey, I'm like, you know, I just, I want to do an outreach or something. I was wondering if I can connect with you. And he's like, yeah. He's like, you know, what you got to do is you got to pray. <laughs> he's like, you got to pray for the next step. And I'm like, in my mind, I'm like, I'm, I'm expecting him to be like, let's connect, let's go. Like, and he's like, you got to pray. And it was wisdom. And I met up with him yesterday and I told him, I said, you know, I said, when you told me that, I go, at first I was kind of like, okay. And then I thought about it and the Lord really reminded me that he's the one who wants to direct our steps. 
he shared with me the story how when they first started their church, they met in a basement for three years and prayed. And they prayed and they asked God for the next step. He moved from a church in the suburbs, felt like God was calling them to start a church in the downtown to be a part of a church. So they go downtown and he said it was him and two other guys and they met in a basement for three years praying to the Father for the next step. And then from there, someone, God, God sent two people down into the basement shared with them about a study that they were doing at the Salvation Army. So they sat in in the Salvation Army Bible Study Church for a couple years, and then they started their own ministry. But I, I, I never forgot that. It was like, hey, he's like, we prayed and we fasted for the next step. And how often do we do that in our lives? We can get so impatient. We're like, man, God, but I just, I just got to go. I just got to do something. And God's like, no, just pray. Why? Because when we pray, God speaks. Man, every time that I have gotten serious about praying about a decision, God has always spoken to me and showed me what to do. Sometimes I listened, sometimes I didn't. But he always spoke to me. I got serious about praying and God got serious about speaking. He always showed me what to do. But listen, he didn't just surrender. What did Paul do? Paul also obeyed. That's the second thing Paul did. He surrendered and then he obeyed. Notice the next verses. Verse 7, it says this in Acts chapter 9, verse 7. He says, And the men who journeyed with him stood speechless, hearing a voice but seeing no one. And then Saul arose from the ground, and when his eyes were opened, he saw no one, but they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus, and he was three days without sight, and neither ate nor drank. What happens? Paul goes, he gets up, God tells him, arise, go into the city, and wait for further instructions. What does he do? He goes, and he spent three days praying and fasting, waiting for further instructions. He listened to God. Man, and I thought about this, is how many times have we surrendered to God only to disobey Him the next day? For a long time, I got so frustrated because I was struggling and getting victory in different areas. And I remember there would always be that call at service like, hey, if you want to surrender or if you're struggling, come forward and we'll pray for you. And I would always be the first one up like, okay, I need to go. I'm giving this to you now, God. Like, I'm giving this to you now. I'm done with it. It's done deal. I went up. I stood up. I took this step of faith. It's gone. And then on the way home, sometimes I would slip up. Or the day after, I would go right back to what I was doing before. And I was struggling with it. I'm like, God, but I, I surrendered. See, listen, it's not always about the experience and the encounter. It's about the follow through. It's about that daily obedience. The Bible says, walk in the spirit and you won't fulfill the lust of the flesh. The Bible doesn't say have an encounter and then you'll never struggle again. No, it says daily walk in the spirit. You're always going to have those battles. Man, the Bible says that the flesh is strong and temptation is what? Sin is deceitful. Temptation is real. And we always have the battles with the flesh and the spirit. The Bible says it's like tug of war. Man, there's sometimes where we're like, man, I'm just going to go off on this person at work, right? You're like, I'm done. I've had it. They've, they've crossed me for the last time. I'm done. They've been mean for the last time. That's it. 
and your flesh is on fire, and God's like, nope, just relax. And when we walk in the Spirit, what happens? We're able to be able to withstand those temptations that pull us. But it's a daily obedience. It's a daily follow-through. And sometimes obeying God one day, listen, it saves you from making mistakes down the road a week, two days, three days, four days. Man, it's about daily obedience. And obedience is follow-through. Obedience is one of the most underrated things in Christianity. Why? Because many people consider obedience to God as being what? Optional. They consider obedience to God as being optional. And I was really thinking about it the other day and reflecting on it. The Bible says that He loves us when we were His enemies. And I love that so much because sometimes all of a sudden we can become a Christian and we start thinking like, oh man, God doesn't love me no more. We make a mistake and we start thinking like, oh man, God's... That's it, I made, that's it, you know, God's done. We start thinking that God has stopped loving us because of all our mistakes and all our failures. We can sometimes not want to be real with God because we're like, man, God, if I just get 100% real with you, God, you're not going to like what you see and you're going to stop, you're not going to love me the same. But man, if he loved us when we were enemies, when we were at our worst, man, what does that tell us? That tells us that He will never stop loving us no matter what we do. And that we can always come to Him, especially if we're struggling with things like, God, I'm struggling, but I need you. This is where I'm at. Change happens when we get real with God. Always. Always when we get real with God, that's when change happens. Obedience will directly affect our relationship with God. And this is super important. In John 14, verse 15, it says what? It says, if you love me, keep my commandments. And John 14, 23 through 24, Jesus said to them, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word and the Father will love him. And we will come to him and make our home with him. And he who does not love me does not keep my words. And the word which you hear is not mine, but my Father's who sent me. Very interesting. He says, if anyone, keep, if anyone loves me, they do what? They obey. And if anyone obeys, what happens? Man, there's that fellowship with God. And when there's not that obedience, what happens? That fellowship is broken. There's a schism now. There's a fight between you and God. There's a fight between you and God. What opens the door for a close fellowship with God, listen, is obedience. That's why you can never fully have joy and peace when you're walking in disobedience to God. And it's interesting because sometimes we can put more weight on emotional feelings than we can on obedience. And what do I mean by that? What I mean is this, is how many people do you know that you come across them on the street or you know in your life that they live just crazy degenerative lives, right? But then they cap it off by saying, but I'm good because I love God. Like you tell them about God, you're like, hey man, you need the Lord. You need to surrender to the Lord. And they're like, I do love God. Like I do love him, you know? And it's almost like we think that an emotional type of loving God on an emotional level is going to excuse how we live our lives, but that's not what the Bible teaches. 
Sometimes we think that just loving God more on an emotional level will bring us closer to God, but that's not what the Bible teaches. Very simple. Jesus said it so clear. If anyone loves me, he will keep my word and my father will love him and we will come to him and make our home with him. So simple. Man, walking closer with God, it's greater obedience. Man, and you'll find that the more you obey God, what happens? There's less of a friction between you and God. There's less things between you and God and you're just able to experience the fullness of God and it is such a powerful thing and such a fulfilling thing in our lives. Man, there's some times where I go a day and I, I allow things to come between me and God. Man, thoughts I think or different things that I'm just allowing in my heart. Or maybe I slip up and do something. Or I, I, I act out or I step out of line. And all of a sudden now there's things between me and God. It's not the same. I get convicted. And what do we do when we get convicted? We bring it back to the Lord and we say, God, I screwed up. Lord, can you forgive me? I want to be in fellowship with you again. It's walking in obedience. See, because God doesn't just want emotional love only. He doesn't just want us to just, oh God, I love you so much. Or I just feel so in love with God. He wants what? He wants to experience that unbroken fellowship with us through obedience. He wants fellowship. That's what God wants with us. Notice what he did next. He surrendered, he obeyed, and then what did he do next? I love it so much. He did this. Verse 9 says, He was three days without sight and neither ate nor drank. Now, I'm just going to summarize the next couple of verses. God calls this man Ananias and says to Ananias, Ananias, I need you to go. There's this man named Paul. You'll find him at this location. I need you to go and I need you to pray over him because he's a servant of mine. And what does Ananias do? He says, God, he says, I have to tell you something. I don't know if you know, Lord, but this guy Saul, he's kind of a jerk. He's been persecuting the church. He's been killing Christians. And, and so I don't know if you know this yet, Lord, but if not, I'm going to just let you know. <laughs> I'm going to bring you in the loop, Lord. Like he's, he's persecuting Christians. So I don't know. Do you still want me to go? Like, I don't know. And Jesus says, go. He's a chosen servant of mine. So what does Ananias do? Ananias goes and he prays. He says, Brother Paul, he says, listen, he says, God wants you to receive your sight and God wants to fill you with the Holy Spirit. And he prayed over Saul, and Saul was baptized with the Spirit. And then notice what happens right after that. Verse 18. And immediately there fell from his eyes something like scales, and he received his sight at once. And he arose and what? Was baptized. Man, baptism. Baptism is an outward symbol of an inward work. Baptism, when you go into the water, what's happening? It's a picture of dying to your old life. And when you come up out of the water, it's a picture of walking in the newness of life. It's a picture of being all in. It's a symbol to everyone, right? When we do baptisms, what do you do? You invite your friends, you invite your family, you say, hey, I'm all in for God and I'm going to get baptized. And it's, it's almost like, I don't want to call it sealing the deal, <laughs> But in some ways, it's kind of like sealing the deal. It's saying, hey, God's done this work in my life, and now I'm going to get baptized, and it is going to, it's like putting that stamp on it. Like, hey, this is what God has done in my life. 
Paul got baptized, he didn't get up and say, oh, well, so, you know, maybe I should just wait a little bit, wait till things cool down. You know, I mean, I know I'm, I want to follow God, but I'm just going to wait. No, he's like, I'm all in. <laughs> I'm going to get baptized now. It's interesting when, uh, Paul, when uh, Philip was, he ran into this Ethiopian man on a chariot on the road uh, in the wilderness of Israel. And what did he do? He said he shared the gospel with him and the Ethiopian man said, what's, uh, what's keeping me from getting baptized? He said, nothing. He said, if you believe in Jesus. They went and got baptized right there. Man, baptism is huge. It's a symbol of going all in, and that's what Paul did. Paul went all in. What did Paul do next? He got plugged in. A very small little verse, but so powerful. Notice, verse 19, Acts chapter 9, verse 19. It says, So when he received food, he was strengthened. And then Saul spent some days with the disciples at Damascus. Paul got plugged in. He got into fellowship with other believers. And that's so important. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 22 says this, Flee also youthful lusts, but pursue righteousness and faith and love and peace with those who call on the Lord out of a pure heart. I think so many times we can be pursuing God and it's just us. And God hasn't called us to do it alone. Man, God hasn't called us to be just us. He's called us to pursue God with others alongside of us that are like-minded, that have a pure heart, that are like, hey, I'm not all there yet, but I'm seeking God with you. And you have those, uh, th- those other believers with you. Listen, we've been talking in 1 Corinthians about the body of Christ, right? We've been talking how there is the body of Christ and how we are baptized into that body. We are brought into that body by how? By the Spirit. Man, you receive Christ, you have a relationship with God. You're a part of the body, whether you like it or not. You're a part of the body of Christ. You're a part of the body of Christ. And the body of Christ, it's the local church. It's wherever God places you. And it is essential for you and for me to grow, is to be a part of the body of Christ. Why? Because Psalm 92, 13 says, Those who are planted in the house of the Lord shall flourish in the courts of God. And it's essential to be in the body of Christ. I'll tell you what, people who get saved but never get plugged into a church, they usually end up falling back or sometimes they end up getting very weird. I'm just going to be honest. There's some people that, uh, I, and I'll never forget, so when I was in Southern California, I worked at the bookstore in, the, in our church. And we had some people that came in one time. And, you know, they were really smart. They knew a lot of the word. They were saying a lot of the word. And I remember talking to them, and I'm like, oh, yeah, that's cool. I'm like, so what church do you guys go to? They're like, oh, we don't do church. I'm like, okay. <laughs> like, what do you guys do? Like, you know, and so they're like, yeah, they're like, we don't go to church. They go, we do our own church at our home with just us. I'm like, I'm like okay. He's like, yeah. He's like, we don't, we don't need church. He goes, we hear from God directly. I'm like, okay, dude, you guys are on, you know, you guys are wrong building. I think you're looking for, you know, the next place over there. But sometimes, right, people can get weird. Why? Because within the body of Christ, there's accountability, but there's also something else that's very, very important. Listen, we talk about how obedience is underrated, right? How a lot of people look at obedience as optional. Well, church even more so, a lot of people consider church as optional. 
It's okay if I don't go to church. It's okay if I don't get plugged in because I'm following God on my own. But you can't do it alone. You can't. And it's interesting because it's not just going to church that's important. Some people will just go to church on a Sunday and that's it. It's like I did my duty, I washed my hands, I'm done. But it's not just going to the building. It's not just sitting in a Bible study. It's getting plugged in and that's so much different. Why? Because it's experiencing everything that the body of Christ has to offer. And that's both ways. The Bible talks about, right, we've been learning this, how there's different members in the body and there's different gifts and different activities and when you're in the body and you're plugged in, not just, hey, you know, I'll see you guys like in and out, but you're plugged in, you're fellowshipping, kind of what we do here, right? Man, one of the things I love about a, a group this size is there's just so much opportunity to just fellowship. And the other night when we were all hanging out, there's an opportunity to just fellowship. And then a body of Christ is an opportunity for you to be able to be benefited by someone else's spiritual gifts, by someone else praying for you, by someone holding you accountable, by someone loving you, you're able to receive and then you're also able to give. It's that full experience of the body of Christ. You don't get that by just going to church and leaving. I'm in, I'm out. I'm in and I'm out and done deal. Got a lot of things to do today and I'm just going to go in and out of church. Sometimes we look at church as just an errand. It's like, oh, I got to make sure I go to church. Okay, done that. It's like almost like you look at it like a hair appointment or like something else. Like, okay, got that done. Now it's on to the next thing. No, church is the body of Christ. And it's experiencing everything that the body of Christ has to offer. It's kind of like going to a certain restaurant, right? Sometimes you go to a restaurant and there's always that one thing on the menu where it's like, hey, if you go to this place, you have to get this, Right? And if you don't get this, it's like you're not getting the full experience. I remember, so how many of you guys here know of Roscoe's Chicken and Waffles? You guys, have you guys heard of it? Have you heard of it? Okay, so it's, uh, so it's a combination. Picture a waffle with fried chicken on top. Just fresh fried chicken with syrup dripped all over it. And it's just amazing. It's phenomenal. They, no, no, they, but there is a chicken and waffle place, uh, uh, side house, no, uh, it's some, says little, it's a place over here, the, I heard they have them, <laughs> I heard the screen door, I heard that screen door has that combination, but it's good, right, but so if you go to a place like that, right, you're going to get what? You're going to get the signature item on the menu. You're going to get that chicken and waffles. You're not going to go there and order eggs and potatoes. You're going to go there and you're going to order the specialty. Why? Because you want to get the full experience. And it's the same thing with church. Sometimes we can go to church and we can leave and it's just like in and out, but we don't get the full experience of the body of Christ. Man, we need to get that full experience. Acts chapter 2 has the best description of what that full experience of the body of Christ looks like. Acts chapter 2, verse 42 through 47. I'm just going to read it to you. You guys don't have to turn there. It says, And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship, in the breaking of bread and in prayers. 
And then fear came upon every soul, and many signs and wonders were done through the apostles. Their possessions and their goods divided them among all, as anyone had need. So continuing daily with one accord, and breaking bread from house to house, they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart, praising God and having favor with people. And the Lord added daily to the church, such as should be saved. Listen, it was a community. It was the body of Christ. It wasn't just a, I'm in and I'm out. It was the body of Christ. And listen, God wants us to experience the full experience of the body of Christ. What did Paul do? Very simple. He did what? He spent some days with the disciples at Damascus. He got plugged in. He got plugged in. And then what did he do after that? Notice Verse 20, and immediately he preached the Christ in the synagogues that he is the son of God. And then all who heard him were amazed and said, is this not he who destroyed those who called on his name in Jerusalem and has come here for that purpose so that he might bring them bound to the chief priests? Man, what did Paul do? Paul witnessed. He witnessed. He didn't hide his newfound faith. He didn't be like, oh man, I'm a Christian, but you know, I'm going to keep it on the down low for a little bit just until. No, he didn't hide his faith. He shared his faith. Man, witnessing in the synagogues would have cost him everything. Why? Because Paul was a leader of the Sanhedrin, which was a small group of men who oversaw the Jewish religion, 70 people. He was one of the members. It would be a very prestigious position. People knew who he was. It wasn't just like some just random person getting saved. It would be like if a celebrity got saved or someone big got saved. It's like people knew who he was. So for him, and listen, and it was he was crossing religions because the Jewish religion was trying to stamp out Christianity. They're trying to stomp it out. They didn't want people to preach Christ. Why? Because they preached that Christ was the Messiah, but the Jews were still waiting for their Messiah. And they crucified Christ. So he's over there, you know, one minute he's trying to stamp out Christianity, and then the next minute he's in the, uh, the synagogues preaching Christianity, preaching Christ. He would have lost everything. It would have cost him his reputation. People would have looked at him differently. All of those things, it would have cost him everything. But Paul did not care. Why? Because he was witnessing his faith. And here we see two keys to witnessing, and these things will help you. And maybe if you're like me, maybe you struggle sometimes sharing your faith. I know I can at times. It's hard. I try and slip it in there a little bit, like almost like, you know, almost like a drug deal. Like just kind of like, hey, what's this? You know about Christ? You know, like I try and slide it in there sometimes. But it's hard because why? Sometimes it's hard to be a bold witness. It's hard to be sold out for Christ. And sometimes we can think like, oh man, if I really get bold for Christ, people are going to look at me like I'm a weirdo, right? But that's not the case. Paul was bold in his witness. Why? The first thing that Paul was, Paul was all in with his relationship with God. Man, there was no holding back. And if you have, haven't gone all in and you're holding back a little bit, your faith is not going to last. You have to be all in with Christ. And we all fail and we all mess up. Perfection doesn't make you a good witness. Living a, a, a perfect life doesn't make you a good witness. Peter failed 
but he repented. Why? Because Peter was all in. Man, for better or for worse, through failure, through mistakes, Peter was all in. And he failed and he repented and God used him to be a phenomenal witness for the gospel. But look at someone like Judas. Judas was half in. He was a disciple of Christ. He was one of the twelve, but he also had his little side hustle stealing money from the offerings. Little, 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 side, little side gig, right? And Judas was half in, and what happened? He failed, and his failure led him to do what? Led him to commit suicide. You can't follow God half in. We have to be all in. The Bible says in Proverbs 24, 16, A righteous man may fall seven times and rise again, but the wicked fall by calamity. True witnessing is God working through spirit-filled, spirit-empowered believers. That's true witnessing, to impact people. And true witnessing happens when we go all in and we hold nothing back. There's an old preacher who was a missionary in Africa. His name was David Livingstone. Uh, I love his story. He went to Africa, and he actually ventured in further in Africa than any missionary had gone at his time. I mean, you're talking tribes that were cannibalism. You're talking tribes that he didn't speak the language, diseases, all of those things. He mapped out uh, at his time. It was one of the, it was the most modern map in Africa at his time. And when you read his story and you look at some of the things he said, there's a lot of things he said that have resonated with me. But one thing that I was looking at over the weekend that, of his story that really hit home for me is people asked him, like, hey, you know, because he was a smart man. He was a really smart man. Educated. People asked him, they said, hey, they said, you know, do you ever regret, you know, having to make all of these sacrifices to go live in Africa? The family and, you know, your family not being able to see them all the time and, you know, all these different things. They said, do you ever regret all of those things? Like, how do you feel about having the, the cost of doing what you were doing? And you know what he said? He said, it's not a big deal for me. He said, I have never in my life made a sacrifice for serving God. He didn't look at what he did as a sacrifice. He looked at it as a privilege. He said, I am just trying to do what little I can to repay a debt that can never be repaid. He said, it's, he said, I've never made a sacrifice in my life. Man, he was all in. And when we're all in on that relationship with God, listen, sometimes like what we talked about a few weeks ago, right? The world doesn't always love us. The world doesn't always receive us. But that's okay. It's okay to be a bold witness. What did Paul also do? Listen, Paul was one. He wasn't trying to be two things. He wasn't trying to be a Jewish leader and a Christian. He wasn't trying to be both things. He was one. He had integrity in his life. See, Jesus wasn't just one part of his life. Man, some people compartmentalize Christ. It's like, oh yeah, I'm a Christian, but that's over here. Like, that's not my whole life. Paul said in Colossians, he called Christ. He said, when Christ, our life, appears our whole life man christ is our life he's not just part of our life he's not just a sunday thing man jesus wants to be everything in us and see paul listen he embraced that he had integrity in his life he was one 
He wasn't a Christian on Sundays. He wasn't a Christian just when he showed up at church. He was a Christian all every single minute. And then lastly, he did what? In closing, he did what? You guys come in. He did what lastly? He said this. Verse 22, but Saul increased all the more in strength and confounded the Jews who dwelt in Damascus, proving that Jesus is the Christ. In closing, what did Paul do? He continued to grow in strength. See, Paul didn't just, Paul wasn't someone who had this amazing conversion and was starting to get plugged in and was being this powerful witness. And then all of a sudden, you never hear any more about Paul. Paul did what? He continued to grow in strength. He continued to grow. See, it's not just about the encounter that you have with God or the encounter you had with God. It's about what? It's about the follow through. It's about the follow through. And it's so important. And as we get into this new year, it's interesting. I was reading Jeremiah 12 the other day. And the, uh, God tells Jeremiah, he says, Jeremiah, he says, I want you to do this. I want you to go through every single town in Israel. And I want you to remind the people of the terms of my covenant with them. He said, Jeremiah, he said, they're slipping. They're getting off course. They're getting off track. And he said, Jeremiah, he said, what I don't want you to do is I don't want you to go and try and give them some new message. I don't want you to go and try and do just remind them of the things that lead to blessing in their life. And what were those things? Obedience in their relationship with God. Now, these things that we went over this morning, these are things that will keep us in a place where God can do a work every day, where we can experience God every day. Surrender, obedience. Man, baptism, you don't got to go get baptized, re-baptized every week, right? You don't go like, oh man, I got to get re-baptized so I can stay fresh in my walk with God. No, 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 no. But it's remembering that we are died to the old life and that we are walking in the newness of life. Getting plugged in. Man, being that witness and then what? Growing in our faith and our relationship.